This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We spoke about Amuna. Amuna and Bitochen and Hashem. All right. Guys, you got to let me speak. A competition I have a whole day. At night, no competition. Okay. This week's Pasha is Pasha's Chukas Balak. Pasha's Chukas. Chukas means a mitzvah that we, we do not understand the reason for the mitzvah. Actually, even the, the mitzvah that we think we understand the reason for the mitzvah, we don't really understand the reason for the mitzvah. It just makes human logically sense that, that you can't kill somebody. Right? Makes sense that you can't kill somebody. Actually, it doesn't make sense that you can't kill somebody. Everyone in this room is like, sure you can't kill somebody. Well, many years ago, while traveling through the Amazon, Rabbi Wallstein met, actually went to a village, was very hungry, and I asked what's for lunch, and they told me you're for lunch. And I realized that there are people in this world called cannibals. And it's called cannibalism. And that's where people kill people to eat them for food. I don't know if you remember Chas I mean, none of you would even know what I'm talking about. Many years ago, there was uh, a movie yeah. that I... What year? Yeah. <laughs> what year? Yeah. I'm not even going to say I saw this movie. I'm just going to say someone who saw it told me about it. So, so there was a, a movie on a, based on a true story where a, um, a plane crashed into the mountains... And most of the people on the plane were killed, and some of them survived, and they had nothing to eat. I hate, you know, this is really, this is like a guy story, it's not really a girl story. But, um, so, since they had nothing to eat, they ended up eating some of the body parts of the people that were on the plane. And there was a whole book written about this, and a whole movie made about this. Is that correct, or is that not correct? And, and actually, actually it's disgusting, but a person's starving, and the other person's dead anyway. So we're not going to get into the halachic ramifications that to save your life, the other person's not alive anyway. So, so about two months after that movie came out and the book and everyone was talking about it, the true story. So I remember I got, on, I got onto a plane. I was going to Los Angeles. And I was sitting next to this guy, huge guy. He was like 300 pounds. And um, he was sitting next to me on, on this flight. It's a five-and-a-half-hour flight. So we got to talking. And um, he was Jewish. You know, here was my Kirif chance. Right? I got five hours with some guy. He wasn't wearing a yarmulke or anything. You know, he, he, he definitely wasn't orthodox, whatever it was. And, you know, he realized I was wearing a yarmulke and I was Jewish. And the whole time he's smiling. He's like a real jolly, really smiling guy. So, so I like to meet people who smile. And, at, you know, you don't, you don't just have to meet people who are depressed and ask them what's wrong. You probably never tried this, but if you ever meet someone who's happy, ask them what's right. Because that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about my shit tonight, right? That's like strange. Like if someone's like depressed... Oh my goodness, what's wrong? What's bothering you? For sure. But if someone's happy, it's like, wow, what's going on? Like, you know, share. Tell me what's going on. You know, so I, I'm a little bit out of the box. So when I see someone that's like so happy, you know, besides that he was taking up half of my seat, maybe that's why I was happy. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I said like, why are you, sm- like, you must be very happily married. Like, what's like, what's going on in your life? You're smiling. Since I got on the plane, you're like smiling the whole time. He was like, you know, I just saw this movie. And he tells me about the movie. I'm like, that's nothing. That's, dis- that's disgusting. I mean, that's nothing to smile about. He goes, I know, but I was having a problem. What happens, what happens if it happens to us? Right? I'm not, there's not going to be any kosher food on the, on the plane. But now that you're in the city next to me, I'm figuring, 
If it happens, if it happens, at least I have kosher food. Actually, the word he used was Jewish food. So I turned to him and said, well, I think I got the better of the deal. <laughs> that was the end of the smiling and the end of the discussion that night. But anyway, I'm kidding. It's not a true story. <laughs> so I always tell this joke after I talk about cannibalism because we don't want to start off a share in that mode because it's just going to go downhill from there. So we have to make a joke out of it, but it's not a joke. And, and um, in the Amazon, there are people who eat other people. Now, you'd say to me, Rabbi, Rabbi Wallstein, I understand the mitzvah. You're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to eat a person. You're not allowed to kill a person. Of course you're not allowed to kill a person. How are we doing? Pockets working? Okay, good. So, Lemaisa, this cannibal, is more civilized than we are. Because in the Amazon, even though they're way out there, you know, I don't know if you're in Eretz Israel, any of the women or the girls in here that went to Israel, so if you ever did any tours and you travel through the Judean desert, right? So they have these Druze, they're called Druze, these Arabs that live in the desert with those black tents, right? No cars, just camels, Bedouins, I'm sorry. They're called Bedouins and they live out there with their camels and their goats, right? And they travel in the desert from place to place. And the funniest thing is, that there's no cars, no toasters, no refrigerators, but there's this huge dish, television cable dish, right? Out in the Judean desert that moves with them, right? So, so, so out in the Amazon also in these cannibalism, in these villages, they also have this, these dishes where they watch, you know, television and, and they're watching CNN and they watch the American, the Americans when they attacked Iraq. They were bombing all the people and they were shooting all the people. And uh, on the first night, they killed like like twelve thousand, you know, Iraqi soldiers, and 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 and, and these cannibals were sitting there like, wow, that's going to feed the whole America for at least a year, twelve thousand human beings, and like, congratulations, you came up with a way to feed the whole United States, and of course, of course, they were like totally shocked when they found out that. We kill people in war, and we don't eat them. We kill them, and we just bury them, if we bury them. And they're like, who's civilized, and who's a savage? We kill to eat. You kill for what? How many soldiers died in World War II? Hundreds of thousands of human beings died in World War II. For what? So... The mishpat that you're thinking that killing a person makes sense, that you're not allowed to kill a person, to them it doesn't make sense. So it's brought down in the Svarim that the only reason that Jews are not cannibals, right? Because logically, if you have to eat someone, you know, it's just like a lion kills a, you know, kills a, an animal to eat. So you may be if they're hungry, but just to kill somebody? To turn on the news that some guy drive-by shooting? Guy got into a car and he just shot a bunch of people at a party. And then what did you do with them? Nothing. So, so the Torah, because the mitzvahs are in the Torah, that's why we understand the reason. So a chok, when it says those chukas at Torah, these are mitzvahs that we don't understand at all. We don't understand. Really, all mitzvahs we don't understand. Because once you start trying to understand mitzvahs, then you become a reformed Jew. Because if you understand on Shabbos, 
you're not allowed to work. So I understand when Hashem gave the Torah to make a fire, you have to sit there, take two rocks, smack them together, till a spark went out, till it hit the hay, then you have to put a piece of wood on the hay, a twig, and then a bigger piece of wood. That was such a work. But that's why lighting a fire on Shabbos, you're not allowed to. But today, it's a turn of a knob on the gas range. So if you start to give things reasons in the Torah, not to reform Judaism, you know, you're not allowed to eat pork. Because they say, oh, pork was unhealthy. It had a tapeworm that a person would eat. It would eat the person up from inside. But now that they have all the chemicals and they kill the tapeworm, so now you, so there's really no reasons for the mitzvahs in the Torah. We don't, but being that we're human beings and it's very hard for us to do things without reason. So there are certain mitzvahs in the Torah. For instance, shotness. Why aren't you allowed to wear? You put on a jacket and it has linen and wool in it. How does that bother God? Right? Linen and wool. So, the Tamim and Hagim says, there's a reason you can't wear linen and wool. Because Cain, right, brought a carbon to God from, from flax. Flax is linen. And Hevel brought from, a, from wool, from a lamb. So, when you take wool and you mix it with linen, it reminds Hashem of what happened with Cain and Hevel. And that's why we don't do it. It's a Tamim and Hagim. Some other rabbis, some other chazal say, no, shotness is, we don't, we don't know why, we don't know the reason. So there are some things that have reasons, but those reasons are only to give the human being an, a little bit of an understanding. Not always is that really the reason. This week's parsha talks about the red heifer. That's the exact translation of paraduma for all us human beings. It's the red cow, right? The red cow, and the law of the red cow is as follows. If a person is tummy, so they would take a red cow, a cow that was totally red, it didn't have more than two black or white hairs on it. If it had three, no good. Okay? So it had to be a perfect paraduma. It says that a paraduma will be born in the times of Mashiach. I remember in Eretz Yisrael, they thought there was one born and they weren't sure, whatever it was. And also, you're not allowed to put a yoke on this cow. If you put a yoke on it, to, to plow, you're not allowed to use it. It's a very special red cow. There weren't many at all in the, throughout, throughout times of Israel. They would take this, they would burn it, they would take the ashes, mix it with water, mix it with azo grass, mix, and, and they would sprinkle it on the person who's tummy. Now, it was a very interesting halacha, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight, because it has a lot to do with our lives. And I'm going to hit a point tonight that I never spoke about before. The halacha is like this. The Kohen was the only one that was allowed to sprinkle these ashes. The Kohen who sprinkled the ashes on the person who's Tomei, he became Tomei. And the person he sprinkled the ashes on became Tahar, pure. Again, the Kohen who was pure, he took these ashes and sprinkled it on a person who is not pure. When he did that, the person who was not pure became pure, and the Kohen who was pure became not impure, became not pure. Now that makes absolutely no sense. If you would have told me that taking ashes from a cow and sprinkling it on a, on a person makes him pure, that doesn't make sense. How does it work? Ashes, impurity, you can't see impurity. How does the whole thing work? I don't understand it. But you know what? There's a lot of things that I don't understand. But that the, that, that the thing that I'm using to help the other person become pure makes me impure? That, that, as they say in Israel, in Ivrit, ze lofir. 
Zillow fear. I'm helping this person. So Hashem, instead of rewarding me, right? Instead of rewarding me, you're punishing me. Now you have to understand something. That a Kohen, right? I'm a Kohen. And a Kohen only worked one Mishmar a year. A week or two weeks. That's it. That's it. We, we weren't such hard workers. We worked in the base of Mishmar because there were a lot of Kohanim. So what did they do the rest of the year? What did Kohanim do the rest of the year? They taught Klai Yisrael Torah. And they went around. They were therapists. And they were Oyev Shalom, Baroyev Shalom. They got from, from and, and they made Shalom Bais. That's what the Kohanim did. So this Kohen, all he had in the Beit HaMikdash was a very short amount of time to do his work. Now this guy walks up to me. He says, Wallerstein, I'm Tomei. Get me some Paraduma ashes and make me Tahar. This is from Basi. Thank you. Watching. Ooh, very, and, 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 very nice. They're all sitting there watching it. Thank you very much up there in camp. Tadarabah. <laughs> in honor now. There's a whole shaila what I'm about to do. The shaila is like this. If you make, if you drink water, not because you're thirsty, because someone gives you the water and you don't want to embarrass them. No, this is not, this is not a joke. I'm telling I want to teach you halacha. Somebody gives me water and like someone walks up to you, all right, Wallstein, you look thirsty, here's a drink. Now I'm not going to just put it down and not drink. That's insulting them. So now I'm going to have to drink the water. Do you make a bracha? Halacha is you don't. Because you're only allowed to make the bracha if you're thirsty. Just like if you need water to take a pill, you don't make a bracha on the water to take a pill. If you're a little bit thirsty, you make a bracha. But if your mom is not thirsty, you're only drinking the water. Because So where does it, where does this shayla come up? And I'll tell you where the shayla comes up, and, and, and that's why you'll see that I don't do this very often. The shayla comes up, I have, I have 80 girls in here right now, however many girls are in here. So it's a very big thing to get 80 amains. The Amain group, right? It's a big thing to get 80 Amains. So every time I give a shear, I should have water and I should make a bracha so everybody says Amain. But if the reason that I'm, that I'm drinking the water is to make the bracha that you should say Amain, then the water doesn't have a chiv to make a bracha on it because I'm not thirsty. But Basya, who's watching from way up in the mountains, happens to know that I'm thirsty. Thank you very much, and thank you, Basia, and all the girls that are watching for my birthday present. Tonight's my Hebrew birthday. And I don't know how I'm going to celebrate my 21st birthday. I'm working on it. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, see. we'll work it out. Anyway, so let's go, Vika. Let's continue. So, so what's going on over here? So this person's coming to me. I'm a Cohen. I'm all excited. I finally got my week to be in the base of Migdash. Shalom Aleichem. Sprinkle some ashes on me. I'm like, no way. I, I'm not going to become impure now. The minute I sprinkle the ashes on him, I have to leave the base of Migdash. I'm, I'm not coming back for a long time. I don't, I don't want to sprinkle ashes on him. I think, this is something that just came to my mind years ago when I was preparing my shiurim. I think that, that, that that's the claim. That, that, that the only person you can ask to do that, I mean, we'll be a little bit gaiva about a Kayan, but the only person you can ask to do that, that, that he should, he should become, I, sh, I it's one thing you, you want me to give you, you know, some water, but you want me to give you my water, now I'm gonna die of thirst? Aha. Uh-huh. That doesn't make any sense. So, here, they're asking a Kohen, you make this person pure, and you out! You're out of here. That halacha, is given to a Kohen because a Kohen's job is Oyev Shalom, Baroyev Shalom. 
Cohen's job is to go out there and make peace. For a person, for all you care professionals, for a person to go out and help other people, you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself. And this is a discussion that is brought down. I asked my Rebbe many times. I'm like, Rebbe, ah, I don't get time to learn anymore. I'm busy. I'm running here. I'm running there. I want to go to a shir. I have to run here. I have to go there. I don't get time to learn myself. I'm going to come up after 120 years. If they decide for some crazy reason, because maybe one girl heard a shir and changed her whole life and whatever, and they decide to put me into Ganadin for a few minutes, they're going to stick me in Moshe Rabbeinu's shir somewhere. I'm going to sit there. I didn't learn two words when I was here. I was running around the whole time. And I'm not going to understand one word. You know what Gehenim is? Gehenim is sitting for a thousand years listening to a shir that you don't understand. That's Gehenim. Imagine. Imagine they stick you into a shir and all the tzaddikim are sitting there. Wow. Whoa. They're asking questions. You're like, uh, 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 right? That's my much Gehenim. So, so, so it brings down. So it brings, so I, so I said, when, when do you, when, when do you stop? When do you worry about yourself? I'm not talking about physically. When do you worry about yourself spiritually? I want to go to Israel. I want to learn for a year, right? So when, when does a person worry about himself? So Rabbi Gamliel said, that's Mesiras Nefesh. What's the word Mesiras Nefesh? Mesiras Nefesh means I am giving up from my soul for the other person. Where does that come from? I am giving up. The Paraduma, I am giving up my Kedusha, my Tahara, I am giving up for that other person. That is the way to make Shalom. Sometimes you do good things, you get smacked in the head for it. You become Tomei, so to say. I don't mean Tomei that... And, and, and I don't mean, this is very important, we've got to be very clear to everyone who's watching and learning and in this room, that at no point are you allowed to sacrifice your Kedusha to help someone else. You can't go into a movie theater and watch a movie with a girl so that you could, you know, talk to her afterwards and make friends with her. That's, you got to ask a Shiloh, and that's no, most of the time. That's no. What I mean by Mesirat Nefesh doesn't mean that you go into the dirt and you become part of them in order to help other people, because guess what? You're never going to come out of that. I mean, Mesiras Nefesh, that, yeah, I, I want to learn right now. I'm davening right now. This girl calls me up, right? I'm talking about your friends. They, they want to talk to you, and they want help. Sorry, I'm going to have a Wallstein share tonight, but, but I need to talk to you. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm going through all this God. I need my Wednesday night fix. I need that share. My whole week is no good without that share. Wrong. Wrong. That's Mesiris Nefesh. I, if the person needs me and they're in depression and they need me for that moment, then I have to give up my Nefesh. I have to give up my shear. Now, I'm not talking about if the person, if it's time to give up your shear for no reason. But I'm talking about that's called Mesiris Nefesh. So, so, so my Rebbe said, Mesiris Nefesh is that when you're, sometimes you don't have the time to, to grow yourself. He says, but Akash Baruch gives it back to you a hundred and a million times. The, the Kohen over here, he had the biggest Mesiris Nefesh. He didn't want to become Tommy. He's like, you go tell that Kohen. I don't want to go. And that Kohen's like, you tell him. No, you tell him. No, that's not what happened. They came to the Kohen, and the Kohen did it. This is very important. I'll explain to you why. There's a Rashi. Okay, so that's Paraduma. That's the Paraduma. Metaher is at It makes pure the Tomei. Umetame is at Tehoyrim. And it makes Tomei the pure. There's a Rashi, the first Rashi in this week's Pasha. It says like this. So, what it's saying here is that the most not understandable thing in the Torah 
is what I'm about to tell you. Those chukas ha-Torah, this is the chayk, the law, without any explanation of the Torah. What is this law? Shaking a lula? What, like, what, what? What's this law? So the law of the Torah that we don't understand, that represents everything, is the law of para aduma. This is the most not understandable law. Says Rashi. Why does the Torah have to tell us this? Lefisha has satan ve'umasa'aylam. Because the satan and the goyim in the world, the umasa'aylam, the idol worshippers, mine as Yisrael. They go around and they bother all the Jews, all of us. Weimar, and they say, Ma mitzvah hazois. What is this mitzvah of the red cow? Umatan yeshboy. And what's the reason for this mitzvah? The fichach, therefore the Torah tells you, Kotsa The answer is, there is no reason. Someone comes to you and says, tell me the reason for the red cow? There is no reason. That's not going to help the other person, right? That's why the Torah tells us the chukah. And then Rashi says, Gizera he milfanai. It is Hashem saying, it is a decree before me. God's telling us, I, I, I'm making a decree. What's a decree? I don't give you permission. No one in this room, none of us, no one in yeshiva, no gadol. No tzaddik, no Moshe Rabbeinu, no one is allowed to think about a reason for the mitzvah of para aduma. Why? Because if you're going to start thinking about this, because the goyim and the satan, these are the, what they're going to bother you about. Now, I have a Yitzhahara, and I know a lot of non-Jews, and I'm not 21 years old. I have never in my life been questioned on a plane or in an office or in college or in school or anywhere where a non-Jew walked up to me and said, hey, Jew, what is up with that red cow? <laughs> and if anyone in this room was ever asked by a non-Jew, what is that rule of the red cow? Please raise your hand. So then, so then what's Rashi saying? Rashi saying... That this is the mitzvah that the satan and the goyim are always bothering the Jews. It's not true. The goyim don't even know what this mitzvah is. They never heard of a paradigma. What, what's going on? This Rashi is not true. And forget the goyim. When was the last time that the satan came to anyone in this room or anyone watching out there and said, Ooh! Do you know the reason of the paraduma? I don't know about your satan. My satan don't talk to me about the paraduma. Talks to me about Facebook. I had to get that in tonight. Talks to me about the internet and television and all kinds of other stuff. But he don't talk about no red cow. So, what's going on over here? We have to think about that drink, how it ever got that name Red Bull. Talk about that at another share. Where did they come up with the Red Bull? We have the Red Cow, so they made a Red Bull. What's the deal with that? I don't know what the deal with that is. We have to think about it. Anyway, so this Rashi is very hard to understand. Rashi is making a statement. Rashi is saying, oh boy, Jews, this is the one law. This is the one law that the Goyim are going to bother you, that something's going to bother you. This is the one law that Hashem says, you're not allowed to think about Hashem. 
I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but haven't been thinking about it much lately. Who, who, who thinks about Paraduma? So it's a very deep answer. Very deep answer. And the answer is as follows. It's not the Paraduma that they're going to ask you about. It's not the red cap. It's what happens by the Paraduma. By the Paraduma, the good guy, the Kohen, the good guy, gets punished. The bad guy, who's Tomei, gets rewarded. That is a question. That is a question since day one. Since day one, that's a question. Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? That's what the Para Aduma stands for. And that's something that the Goyim and the Satan continuously talk about and continuously bother us about. Oh, you're the chosen nation. Six million Jews died. You know what? I'm glad God didn't choose us. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. The Jews do this and do that. And look at you. Look at look what you're going through. There's a little piece of land and the whole world wants to get it. And individually, we look at some people that we know that do bad things. This person's Machal Shabbos. They work on Shabbos. They're making millions. This guy keeps Shabbos and he, he, doesn't, have, he doesn't have what to eat. This girl went to seminary. She sneers. She's doing everything she's supposed to. And, and, and she's going out for eight years and she can't find a guy. And her friend, who did every Aveira in the world, who didn't go to seminary, who hung out in clubs, she's married with three Kanainahara, beautiful, healthy children. And she sits there and she's like, I know I'm not supposed to ask you, Shashem, but what, what, what's up with this? Where, where, where's the fear? Where, where, this is not fear. Where, what's up with this? Where, 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 where doctors in Sloan Kettering are saying that cancer, Chas is a Jewish disease. They don't understand. They're asking questions. Why the percentage of Jews in that hospital is so high? If the Jews are the chosen nation and they eat kosher, which is supposed to keep them healthy, and they do the right thing. Why? Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? And look at all the other nations that are doing the worst things in the world. Who has all the oil in the world? Who's the billion, the billionaires in the world? You smile. They're killing each other. They have no laws. They have nothing. They're wild people. They blow each other up. Meanwhile, they're pumping billions of dollars of oil. Nigeria, all these places where they're not even civilized. They have billions of dollars of oil. Eretz Yisrael, what do they have? You got to go to a pod station and pay $6 uh, a gallon of gas. Sand, we have sand. They have oil, we have sand. So this question has been asked forever. And this question, the Satan asks each one of us, and it's something that we're, we're, we're fighting our whole life. Why are these good people suffering? Kid came over to me this week. There was a very bad accident this week and, and some, some very good people that are, are, are left this world. A tragic, tragic, tragic accident. And a guy came up to me and says, this was my friend, Rebbe. And, and he was the best guy in class. You see what happens for being good? Hashem picks his roses. He says, you know why I'm going to live long, Rebbe? Because I'm rotten to the core. God's not going to pick me. You know what? I'm not, I don't want to be good. I'm going to be good. He's going to take me. I want to be bad. I like this life. You hear yeah, are we thinking? That's how we're thinking. Why should I be good? Good people get punished. Now, don't think this is not a kasha. Don't think this is not a question. Moshe Rabbeinu asked this question. You can't just push it away and say, uh, stupid question. 
so, 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 because of the level that most of us are on, including myself, so if you go and you ask that question to a Rav, he's going to answer, he's going to say, you don't see the whole picture. You don't see the whole picture. You think that it's bad for you. You think it's good for the Russia. Don't worry. If you got to see the whole picture, you'd realize it's good for you. And if you saw the whole picture of the Russia, you'd realize it's bad for him. That's a very nice answer, but that's not, a, that's not an answer to the question. Because if that was the answer, listen carefully to what I'm telling you. You got to use your heads tonight a little bit. I'm going to twist something a little bit. Listen carefully to what I'm about, what I'm going to tell you. If that was the answer, if the answer was that there's two answers that were given. One answer is you don't have the whole picture. Second answer is, oh, the Russia Hashem is rewarding in this world. So he's getting all the good stuff in this world. When it comes to the next world, the bank is empty. He puts his ATM card in, zero. Because he used it, he spent it in this world. The tzaddik, he suffers in this world, but in the next world he puts the ATM card in. Woo! Oh my goodness, I didn't know I had $300 billion in my account. It's a very nice answer. You're telling me Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that? You're telling me that David HaMelech didn't know that? It says Moshe Rabbeinu and David HaMelech, their biggest questions to Hashem, Moshe asked Hashem. Moshe said, Tzadik, tzadik Viraloi, Russia Betoivloi, what are you doing? And Hashem said, you turned away from me by the snare. You didn't want to look me in the face. Now you want, now you want answers? No, now you'll see my back. You're not going to see the front. The front means understanding what I'm doing. The back means that some of the times you're going to see in the end of the story, the back, in the end of the story, you'll say, ah, it came out for my good. I missed the plane and it crashed. What does everybody think when they miss the plane? Me included. You miss the plane, you go running up and they're like, oh, it just left the gate. You're like, oh, those poor people, they're all going to die. <laughs> they're all going to die. It was by shed. I missed the plane. I'm going to live. And then you listen on the radio. You're waiting to hear. You know, it crashed, it crashed. And then, and then you call up the thing to find out that it landed. And they say, not only did it land, but it landed 10 minutes early. And you're like, oh, man. So now I don't have the end of the story. I don't know why, why there was an accident on the belt. And I missed the whole trip. Now I don't have the end of the story. So Hashem said, sometimes, sometimes, right? I'll let you see the end of the story. I know a boy. He was dating for 10 years. The guy was a tzaddik, like 11 years. A tzaddik, pure like ivory snow. Pure, Nanavera, sweetheart, Midos, every girl he liked didn't like him. That's the way every single girl he liked didn't like him. Every girl liked him, he didn't like them. Eleven years, this guy ripped out his parents' hearts. I mean, it wasn't his fault. Mama, she, a few times he said yes, six days, seven days, every, it kept breaking. Right? And, 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 and no one knows you couldn't say, you're bad, it's a tikkun, it's that. What, what tikkun? What, what? What are you talking about? The guy's a tzaddik. And then, he goes out with this girl, like, yeah, shidduch, some of that, right? He goes out with this girl, he gets engaged, he gets married. He was 30, and she was 19. When he started dating, she was 8 years old. It couldn't work. So, looking back now, after the 11 years of pain, looking back, he's like, thank you, Hashem. I had to wait till she was 19. So I had to go 11 years, but now I understand. So Hashem said, sometimes, I'll give you a little glimpse of the back, which means you'll see the end of the story. But most of the time, you will not see the end of the story. David HaMelech said, I don't understand it either. So if David HaMelech and Moshe Rabbeinu asked this question, 
They know that Hashem gives in this world so that in the next world that person doesn't have anything and vice versa. So why do they ask this question? means that the question is much deeper. means that the question is much deeper. So I'm going to explain to you the answer to this question. Rav Shimshim Pinkus Oliver Shalom said the following. It's very, very important share for everyone, including myself. It says the following. It says the story of a father and a son who really, 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 really loved each other. A relationship, the perfect father-son relationship. He loved this kid. He was a Ben Yachid. It was his only child. He loved this kid like, like nothing else in the world. They went to ball games together. They learned together. They ate. He came over every night and he ate with his son. His son was, his, I mean, his wife also, but his son was everything to him in his life. And his son liked to eat, so he would bring home sushi, and he would bring home pizza, and he would get him his favorite ice cream, and, and, and they were inseparable. So this kid goes to school, and he tells his best friend, like, my father's better than your father. You know how kids are. Like, my father is like, he's like the most amazing man in the whole world. I mean, he's like everything. He's, a, he's the best ball player. You know how kids are. He's the best ball player. He's the best tati. He's the best businessman. He's the best learner. He's the best looking. He, he's here. Yeah. This kid's like, okay, let's go meet this best father. He says, okay, tonight I'll come over with you. I want to meet your father. I hear all this about your father. I want to meet your father. Okay. They come running in from school. And sitting on the kitchen table is a glass of water. This kid, right, the father's son, we'll call him Chaim. Chaim is dying of thirst, right? He runs up and he's going to gulp down that whole glass because he's coming from school. And he puts his hand on the glass and he's about to drink it. And his father walks in the room and goes, Chaim! Smack! Smacks his hand, takes the cup, puts it in the sink, says, Get out of here now! Whoa! Chaim walks out of the room. His friend says, Oh yeah, nice father you got, boy. What is he, a miser? What is he, cheap? He won't even let you have a cup of water? What kind of father is that? Ugh, he's mean, he's disgusting. Ugh. Chaim, now, listen very carefully. There's two things that Chaim can do at this point. Chaim can say, Something's wrong here. My father never did that to me before. Run back into the kitchen. Dad! Why'd you do that? Why'd you hit me? I just wanted some water. Sit down, Chaim. We, we, had, we have a big problem with roaches in the house. I went I bought myself a bottle of boric acid. And I put it in the cup. And I was about to take it and pour it all over the house. And you, I saw it in your hand, and boric acid, if it even touches you, it'll burn you, it'll burn, burn your fingers off, it'll burn everything off. And if, I, I just saw it in your mouth, and I saw your lips burning off in your mouth, and I saw you, I saw you dead. And, 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 and therefore, I had to run, I had to smack your hand, I had to get it out of your hand. Good? Everyone's happy with this story? He went, he asked his father, what happened? Let's take it a step further. Since he had such an unbelievable relationship with his father, he didn't have to go back into the kitchen and say, why did you hit me? What's wrong? What are you doing? Why did you do that? Since he has such a good relationship with his father, immediately he told his friend, that wasn't water. That wasn't water. Period. 
my relationship with my father, my father always gave me everything that I want. If my father slapped my hand, I don't need to ask questions. That wasn't water. Two different answers to this other kid. So we have three things here. We have the other kid who's the outsider saying, what a miser, what kind of father you have. Ugh, I'm glad my father's not like your father. We have the kid himself who can go two ways. One, go back to the kitchen and say, Dad, why'd you do that? Why would you hit me like that? And Dad would explain it. Or that there's such an unbelievable relationship that he doesn't have to go into the kitchen. That he automatically says, thank you, Dad, when he gets smacked. Because he understood that the minute his father hit his hand, that he shouldn't drink that, he understood right away, thank you, Dad, you must have just saved my life, because there's no other way that you would hit my hands. And Muna, oh, we all read books. Late girls specifically, they like to read books about Emuna and Bitochon and I believe and I believe, right? And you think that you could just walk into a room, right? And you could just go to the coastal and stand by the coastal and say, I believe. That is not our religion. There is another religion where they walk into church and they go, I believe, hallelujah, I believe. And you got 6,000 people screaming, I believe. Why do you believe? Why do you believe? Because someone in the front is screaming, I believe, hallelujah. Why do you believe? What happened today that you believe? Something different today than yesterday? No, everybody's screaming, I believe. So you believe too. Everyone in this room knows that if you don't have me talking, you don't have a mood in Hashem, there's something wrong. So you believe in Hashem only because you don't want there to be something wrong with you. Because chas v'shalom, if you would get up and raise your hand right now and say, Rabbi Wallerstein, I really don't believe. Then you would be, oh, he's me, terrible, oh my goodness, nobody can talk to her, go away from her, don't have anything to do with her, right? So what is your, what is your belief based on peer pressure? What do you believe? What do you believe? Where did it come from, your belief? How do you know? Right? So there's something very interesting that we learn from this, from this story. That in order to believe, this is so important for parents, for girls, for everyone in this world. In order to believe, in order to trust, there must be a relationship first. Without a relationship, if you smack my hand, I don't know why you smack my hand. Maybe you're evil. Maybe you like to hurt people. Maybe you're angry at me. Maybe you don't like me. I don't know why you smack my hand. I don't have a relationship with you. But if you love me and you take care of me all the time and you smack my hand, I know that for some reason you had to smack my hand. It's for my good. And this is where this whole generation fell off the side of the earth. Because parents, I'm not, again, psychology, not psychology, I, I, I'm not going there. But, but the psychology of the world is that you can't be critical and you can't say no. There's no such word as no. If you're a bad, par- if you're a bad parent, it's because you said maybe. No doesn't exist. Bad pe- oh, my, my mother's really bad. I asked her if I could cut school and go to, go to the city. She said, maybe. Ooh, maybe she's a witch. Maybe she didn't say yes. New generation. Everything has to be yes. Everything has to be yes. A new generation. And, and, and what we don't understand is what the Rambam says 
and, and this is, this is Chinuch, this is Kirov, this is bringing up children, this is being married, this is a relationship with a husband. You can't criticize your husband if you don't have a relationship with him. You can't tell him to get, get up in the morning for Shachris if you don't have a relationship with him. Because he's thinking, why is she telling me to get up in the morning for Shachris? It's a power trick. Because it's the only thing she has over me. So she's using it. Because she hates me. Because she wants to be all powerful. Because she's a nag. Because she's a witch. Because she's miserable. I don't know why she wakes me up like that. But if you have a relationship, and these two parents, these two people love each other, and they're always complimenting each other, and then one morning, she takes a cup of water and pours it on his head, because he's missing chakras, and he's missing a bris that he's supposed to be out of his best friend, so she's trying to wake him up, and he's like, uh, uh, so she takes water, so instead of saying, you, <laughs> he's like, thank you. I know you love me, you did this for me. The better the relationship, the more you have a right to criticize. If you don't have a relationship, girls, you don't have a right to criticize. The Rambam says, and that's why, by the way, in our generations, parents don't have a right to say no. Parents don't have a right to say no because they didn't, they didn't develop the relationship. If you don't develop a relationship, what are you telling me no for? Why are you telling me no? You have to develop the relationship. If you develop a relationship, you tell me no, I know it's for my good. You know, we always tell our kids, well, you don't do it. I mean, now, Baruch Hashem, nobody gets hit. But in my days, 21 years ago when I was born, so you got hit by the Rebbe or your parents and their famous saying was, Oi, it hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> really? Then why don't you just slap yourself? <laughs> I asked my Rebbe that once and I got another 10. <laughs> like, hello, what does that mean? Because we don't believe you. Because if you don't have a relationship with me, and you don't love me, and you don't take care of me, don't give me this baloney It hurts you more than it hurts me. You couldn't care less about me. So the Rambam says that to bring up children, you have to hug, and then you have to hit. It doesn't mean physically hit. Actually, he did mean physically hit, but not translated into our generation. But it means hug. It means compliment. It means give self-esteem. It means being there for the other person. And then you can criticize. If I walk out to Ocean Parkway on Shabbos, someone asks me, and you meet a kid who's smoking, Right, Wallace, you do care of. What would you tell him? Would you knock the cigarette out of his hands? Would you say, Shabbos, Shabbos goy, Shabbos shagets, ugh, fui, I'll keep away from you. Or would you go over to him, oh, it's take another puff, come to my house, I'll give you some Johnny Walker blue, and then we'll go on a trip to the mountains, and then I'll buy you a new suit, and then we'll go to Israel. You know, those are the two extremes of how we work with children today. Either, right? Don't let my kids go near him. Or, or, it's, oh, tzadikul, the guy smoking on Shabbos. Tzadikul, Rebbe, tzadik, come to my house, let's have some chillin. Do I have to put out the cigarette? No, come smoke the cigarette with the chillin. But the Shabbos, we're going to Israel. You look like you need some clothing. We get you some Nike shirt. Why? Why? Because you don't have a right to criticize this kid unless you develop a relationship takes time to develop a relationship. It's very easy to give someone chillant. It's very easy to buy a ticket for a kid to go to Israel or buy him clothing. To make a relationship, to work with someone, to show them that you love them, that takes time. But guess what? If you spend that time, then you have a right to criticize that person. So a boy in my Chabura for the last five years, who I'm close to, who I went out to eat with, who I helped out, and I see he's doing something wrong, 
Oh my goodness, is he going to get it over the head? Oh, am I going to let him have it? I'm going to say, ugh, foy poi. No problem. No problem. Because he knows I love him. And if I let him have it, it's because I love him. And he doesn't have to ask any questions. Why, Rebbe? Why are you yelling at me? You're yelling at me. I know why. Because I'm doing the wrong thing. But if you don't develop the relationship first, it doesn't work. So Rabbi Shimshin said, he had a car. Rabbi Shimshin Pinkus had a car. It was called the Yeshiva Shakar. My days growing up, right? So our parents didn't buy us the car and they didn't give us the lease. You worked in camp. You had a couple hundred dollars. What could you buy for $200, $300? You bought a Yeshiva Shakar. It was the only car where the four wheels were going all in different directions. <laughs> I, had, I had one of these cars. I didn't buy a convertible, but it was a convertible. <laughs> it cost me a hundred bucks. It was a red cougar. I'll never forget it. I made it halfway up to the mountains. That was the end of it. That's what they did. They weren't meant for it. Right? That was a yeshiva shakar. So he, Rav Shimshim Pinkus, had a yeshiva shakar. So one day, he parks this car. You know, just like in the city when you park your Beamer or your fancy car. So like everyone's looking, right? But when you park your yeshiva car, yeshiva shakar, everyone's also looking like, Nebuch, what's wrong with that guy? You know, hey, you know, the guy who brings the car to the valet, he's like, you don't got to give me a buck, man. It's okay. Uh, you know, you need the money. You need the money. Keep the dollar. You know, sometimes... Sometimes our cars were so bad the valet gave us a dollar. That's a, that's a yeshiva shakar. That's a yeshiva shakar. So, so Rav Shishan Pinkus said, said to himself, he's like, Hashem, why? Why? Why, why do I have this, this car that put puts at five miles an hour, right? Why? Must be Hashem, you're a miser. You don't like to give. That's why I have this nebuch yeshiva shakar. Girls, please, if you go on a date, don't turn around and tell the guy, you know, Red Walton was talking about this car. <laughs> they take it as a big insult. What do you mean? What are you talking about? It's got four wheels. Come on. Okay. So, Hashem, all of a sudden, Rav Shimshin says, drives by on the West Side Highway as he's put-putting at 12 miles an hour, drives by a Beamer, BMW, right, 450 or whatever it was. Meow. He's like, wow, nice car. Next car flying by, a Mercedes. Next car, a Cadillac. Then a limo. Hold on. Hold on. Hashem's not, Hashem's not a miser. He's giving people beautiful cars. Different colors. Convertibles. So, if he's giving everyone all these cars, and he's not giving it to me, it's not because he's a miser. Because if I have a relationship with Hashem, I don't ask that question. That means... That a BMW for me is boric acid. It's no good for me. But if you don't have the relationship with Hashem, then you have all these questions. So in order to have Emuna girls, it's not a book. I'm sorry, it's not a book. The book says you have to have Emuna. Yay. So it's just another mitzvah in the Torah. Emuna is, the, is, is, is what we're all about. It's why we're in this world. Emuna is not a book. Emuna, Emuna is the product of a relationship. Not a relationship is the product of Emuna. Never happened. Never happened. The product of a relationship between a husband and a wife, a very good relationship, is love. But more than love, because love, love is a very funny emotional word. We don't know exactly what the word means. But trust and respect comes because 
I know this person cares about me. This person will do anything for me. So if she's not, then there's a reason. Then there's two levels. One, I need to know why aren't you doing it. But if I'm really on the level that I have a great relationship, I don't got to ask. That's that's Chaim. That's Yanko. When he walked out of that room and his father hit his hand, he didn't have to go, sorry. He didn't have to go ask his father. He didn't have to go ask his father, why did you hit me? He understood because of his relationship. He understood that it was for my good. So, a lot of people go in the wrong direction. We, 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 we read books and we try to have a muna and we think that's going to make the relationship when it's just the opposite. The relationship has to come first. That I, that I, now, how do you get a relationship with Hashem? Very nice. For a while, you give a great cheer. Relationship comes before belief. And, and, and that's the difference between our religion, by the way, girls, and everyone else's religion. Everyone else's religion, they serve God. That's not a relationship. That's a servant master. They serve God. And that's why Christianity had to create an in-between. That God had a son and he's in-between because God is such a great being that he can't, there's no relationship between us and him. We serve him. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. There's no relationship. Goyim, there's no relation. It's the difference. And by the way, it's brought down in Swarim. The reason that we've been, the reason the Medrash says very straight, and I apologize to all the Noahides that watch me, because I get a lot of emails from them. They're keeping the seven mitzvahs b'nei noach, and they watch this year. Um, so when I, when I use the word goyim, it's a very liberal, very liberal word. But the difference between our religion and all the other religions is that they believe that God is on such a high level that you can't have a relationship with Him. You can have a relationship with Yashka, you know, with his son, but with God, you can't have a relationship. He created the world, right? He created His beings, and he left. And he left a human being in the world that you can have a relationship because human beings can have a relationship with human beings. That's the basis of their religion. Muslims have a prophet. And the prophet, the relationship is with the prophet, not with God. They believe in God. We are just the opposite. Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayamas Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was not a conduit between us and Hashem. He was a prophet. He said the words of Hashem, but we, the Jewish nation, we have a relationship with Hashem. How do you know we have a relationship with Hashem? And that is the whole difference between our religion and all the other religions. And the Medrash says that the reason Asaph signing Yisrael, the reason they killed six million, the reason there was a Spanish Inquisition, the reason that they're picking on us and that they hate us is pure jealousy. The Therish Medrash, don't tell me anything else. We got a little sliver of land. We don't kill anybody. We don't murder anybody. They hate us because we have a relationship. We walk around and say, we don't say we serve God. We say, Banim Atem La Hashem. Hashem says, you are my children. Children and a parent is a relationship. We as Jews have a relationship with God. Every other religion has a relationship with something that's connected in their mind to God. In India, it's a cow. Don't ask me. It's a cow. You can wait four hours on the road. That cow sits in the middle of the road. No one's allowed to beep. I'm serious. No one's allowed to beep. You're not allowed to get out of your car and say, cow, please move. You have to sit there for four hours and wait till that big moo-moo, right, decides that he wants to move off the road. Mishugan! Shugan, it makes in the street that you can't get Mishugan, but they believe that that's the conduit. 
We are the children of Hashem. We have a relationship with our Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that is the greatness of us. And so many Jewish people do not understand what I am talking about. Do not understand that the basis of our whole religion is developing a relationship with our Kaddish Baruch Hu. How do you develop a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How do you develop a relationship with anybody? It's called HaKadosh Hatov. It's called appreciating what you have. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives me life, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives me vision, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives me a brain to think, and God gives me the ability to smell, and to hear, and to walk, and to eat, and to taste all the different foods, and then to get rid of all the wastes that are in my body. And God does this all for me, and my kidneys get rid of this, and this gets rid of that, and my liver purifies my blood, and my heart is pumping without a battery. No battery. Yeah, it's a muscle. Thank you, medical history. It's a muscle. Yay. What makes that muscle pump? We don't know. Electricity. Electricity in your nerve ends, whatever you want. And where does that electricity come from? Are you plugged in every night? Where does that electricity come from? From within. People who don't believe atheists, tell me. Where does electricity come from in your body? Why are you 98.6? Try to get your house in the winter, 98.6. But in the winter, you take a human being walking in the street, in the snow, playing. It's 30 degrees, and he's walking around, 98.6. Where's the fire? Where's the firewood? Where's the gas? Where's the oil? Where's the coal? What's going on over here? Where's the batteries? <laughs> the nerve ends. But you know it's from within. It's a behedjeh. But tell me where it comes from. Uh, you know all human beings. Uh, whatever. You know it's a, it started in the beginning. And, and how did the beginning start? Uh, an explosion. A bunch of things hit each other and exploded. Oh, they hit each other. So something hit each other. So where did the something come from? Uh, atoms. Uh, neutrons. Neutrons and atoms. And where did the neutrons come from? Yeah, mini neutrons, super neutrons, supernova neutrons, neutrons. And eons, and eons before that, there were ions. And I'm like, you're a moron. Ions and neutrons and neurons, where did they come from? Come to the beginning. Let's get to the beginning. Baratius Bara. The beginning proves that there was creation. Baratius Bara. That there's a beginning of something is the proof that Bara, is the proof that there's a creation. Stop with the nonsense. So this HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, You are my children. So if you are my children, let's develop a relationship like Chaim had with his father. And if you have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you understand, I don't understand. I'm 50 years old. I'm not. I'm older. I'm 50 years old. He gave me 50 years. I get up in the morning, everything's working. Right? Now all of a sudden... Something's not working so good anymore. Why, Hashem? Why? Why'd you do that? One second. If he gave you 50 years, your heart was working perfect. Your blood pressure was perfect. Your sugar was perfect. You were eating pizza pies. You were eating chocolate. You were eating mousse cake. You were eating ice cream. Your body was doing what it had to do, right? Now you're, you're 50 and all of a sudden you go to the doctor. Uh-oh, sugar's high. You got to take pills. Hashem, what's up with you? I go to the dafyomi every day. What are you doing to my sugar? So that's not a good relationship. If you have Akar Satoyev, that for 50 years, the same God is giving me my life and my sugar's working, everything's working. So there must be a reason that Tati gave me a patch. 
there must be a reason that Tati gave me a posh. But I don't need to know that reason. Because we have such a good relationship that a Tati gave me a posh. In the same moment that he gave me a posh, the posh is a hug. Because if you have a good relationship with the person, then when you get the smack, it's called the smack of love. A smack of love. Ow! Smack of love. Keep your smack of love. And the answer is no. No, when that kid got his hand smacked, it saved his life. It saved his life. So, I, I, again, I, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just giving an example. You know, a person who's dating for a long time, and she's not finding her shidduch. It's very hard. I was never there, and I can't even imagine something. I can't even imagine it. But if you understand that, 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 that the, the same person, the same God who's not giving you a shidduch, has given since the beginning of the world 200 million shidduchim. So he's not a miser, and he knows how to make a shidduch. He's not a miser, and he knows how to make a shidduch. Because he made this one, this one, this one, and that one. So if I didn't find my shidduch yet, then, and I understand that, that, that Akash Baruch Hu makes shidduchim all the time, then there's a reason. And I don't even need, need to know that reason. And guess what? When you get to that point, you'll find your shidduch. Because that's the whole test. But if you're going to start sitting, and you're going to start trying to figure it out, so you can be three kinds of people. You can walk away like the guy who doesn't have a relationship at all and say, God, you're mean, you're disgusting, I can't believe you're doing this to me, I can't believe I'm suffering, have a good day. Like that guy that walked out who had no, who didn't understand the son relationship. Or you could be Yankel, the one who runs in and says, no, no, I'm going to Mukubu, and I want to read my hand, and I want to read my name, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, I want to know why. I want to know why. Last time... I did something, it's a dip book, it's a this, it's a that, 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 I'm going around, I need why, read my hand, I want to know why, tell me why. Tell me when, tell me why, tell me how. Is that a relationship with Hashem? You need to know why, what, who, how? Then you're really not so close to me. Then you're not so close to me if you need to know why I did it. But if you're, if you're very close to me, you know why I did it. I did it for you. You know why I do everything, I do it for you. That's, that's Imun and Akash Baruch That's not in a book. Yes, we need to learn this forum because you have to get to it. But it comes from a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch. So I want to end. And that comes from HaKar Tzatov. That comes from recognizing that God is not a miser. And that what I don't have, a lot of other people do have. And therefore, if I don't have it, I'm not supposed to. And therefore, the question of Tzadik Viralo is not a question anymore. It's not a question anymore. Because it's not Rallo. If you say Tzadik Rallo, then it's already a question. Then you're coming back into the room, Dad, why did you slap me? For Tzadik, it's not Rallo, because he has a relationship with Hashem. Whatever Hashem does, whatever Hashem does is not Ra, because Hashem does so much good. And if he, if he doesn't do it to everyone else in the world, if he doesn't give anyone in the world children, so then he's a miser, he doesn't give out children. But if he gives everyone children, and I'm having a hard time having a child, then, then, then you know what? I don't understand, and I don't. And you tackle never, most of the stuff that we think we understand. People give you reasons; they're not really the reasons. That's the highest level of a morning. So, Sarkash so Bahu, being that he's our, our father, and being that his relationship with the Jewish nation is different than any, nobody walks around and says, "If you, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're Catholic, if you're, if you're Christian, and you get up in church and you're like, I am the Son of God." Just stone you. Son of God, according to them, is hanging on a wall. On a cross. There's only one son of God to, to, to that religion. 
There's only one. We're not going to get into that. He was Jewish. That's not part of my share. There's only one. In their religion, there's only one son of God. Now let me tell you how many sons of God there is in our religion. We'll end with this. Rabbi Akiva. He's the man, right? Rabbi Akiva, 40 years. He hated rabbis. He hated Judaism. 40 years old, he started. Listen to what Rabbi Akiva... I don't know, he wasn't a Ger, right? He, I think he came from Gerim. He, right, he came from Gerim. Listen to what Rabbi Akiva said. Who are you, Aymer? Chaviv Adam. A human being is very special. Shenivre B'Tselem. He was created in the image of God. Chiba Yisaref Noidasla. An extra love, Hashem tells us. Shenivre B'Tselem. That we're created in God's form. Because the Torah tells us, Kibitzelem Alekim Asa Esa Adam. The extra love is when you tell the person. In other words, a poor guy comes to my house. He says, Rabbi, I need money. I'm like, give me your bank account. Give me your number of your bank account. He's like, yeah, what are you going to... Give me your number of your bank account, right? He goes out. I wait two days, and I put a million dollars into his bank account. This poor guy doesn't check his bank account. His bank account has, has not had a penny in it in 20 years. He's not checking. He's going around from shul to shul begging. He's taking garbage out of the garbage and eating it. Meanwhile, I put a million dollars in his account. So really, he's a millionaire. But he don't know it. So am I a good guy? Did I give a million dollars to Dhaka? Yeah, I'm a good guy, but I'm a pretty miserable guy because I didn't tell him I did it. So really, he's still poor in his head. He's going around, he's eating garbage. While he could be sitting and eating it in a hotel, whatever he wants. So Akash Baku said, I did you a favor. I created you in my image. But because I love you, I told you that I put a million dollars in the account. I told you that you are created in my image. And this is something I haven't shown bias all the time. When, when, when couples come, because guys don't get that. They, they don't get that. You know, she's like, he never says he loves me. I'm not making fun of you guys. He never says he loves me. You guys are like, what's wrong with this woman? I'm like, why? What, what, what's going on? Every time she asks me to pay the bill, I pay the bill. She wants to go to the city, I take her to the city. She doesn't, she doesn't know I love her. I have to say I love her. And the answer is, absolutely. The answer is, and I gave a shit to men on Shabbos, and this is the shit I gave them. This is not, you don't have to, you don't learn etiquette, romance, I read a book. No. It's in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Chiba Yisera, real showing of love is Shinoidas. You tell the person. It's a Mishnah. Walking around and doing favors for people and not telling them that you put the million dollars in the account, it's very nice, but you're not really helping them. So the Mishnah tells us that Hashem loves us, He created in His Telem, and He told us He created His Son. That, says the Mishnah, says Rabbi Akiva, that is the whole world. Goyim, Jews, everybody. Chaviv in Yisrael. But the love of Klai Yisrael, Hashem loves the Bnei Yisrael. How do we know He loves us? Shinikru, because He calls us Banim Lamakim. Not one Jew is the Son of God. That's blasphemy. All Jews, girls and boys, Banim means are the children of Hashem. All of us. 
Very nice, Rabbi Wallstein telling us this. How do we know it's true? Chibi Yisera says the Mishnah, Noidaz lehem, shenikru banim lamakoim. Shenema, because it says in the Pasik, banim atem lahashem elokeichem. Nobody can argue, no religion, religion, whatever you want to say. The Torah says that the Jewish nation, banim atem lahashem elokeichem. We are his children. Now that's a very nice metaphor, and it's very nice that you're all going to walk out of here smiling. Oh, I have a tati. I have a tati in Shemayim, Hashem. Very nice. What does it mean? What does it mean? Why is Hashem calling us His children? Why aren't all the world His children? Why aren't all the religions God's children? The mission says, Chaviv in Yisrael, the Jewish nation is the only nation that's Chaviv in Hashem. We are the only nation called the children of God. Why? And the answer is because a Jewish person's main reason for being in this world is emunah. Emunah means that when something's going wrong, not that you have to see the end of the story. Not that, well, hey, I'm going to get more oil and hammer. But that when something goes wrong, it's not wrong. My father just slapped my hand. Has to be that was poison. So therefore, Hashem said, in order for you to get to that, you have to be my children. There has to be a relationship first. Chaviv and Yisrael, Yisrael, Goyim don't have to have, a, they don't have a relationship with God. They have a relationship with the cow, and they have a relationship with the fat man Buddha, and they have a relationship with the guy on the wall, and they have a relationship with, with, with Muhammad, and they have all these different relationships that they develop. We don't have a relationship with Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to know how many people in this room have a picture of Moshe Rabbeinu in their house hanging on the wall. You go to shul. You see a picture? You see, you see a picture of Moses uh, hanging on a mug and dove on the wall? Why not? Why not? Because the answer is, why is he any different than me? I'm Hashem's child, and he's Hashem's child. There's no difference between me and Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was a navi. Moshe Rabbeinu was a leader. And I have a grocery, and I sell kosher food. And we're both the children of Hashem. There's no difference. By them, that intermediary, that guy in between, there is a difference. We are all the children of Hashem. Why does Hashem tell us that? Because He wants us to develop a relationship with Him. And if we develop a relationship with Him, then we can have emunah. And that's the tachlis of being a Jew. That's why you're Jewish. That's why your soul came down to this world, not as a Muslim, and not as a Christian, and not as a Hindu, or a Buddhist, or an atheist. You came down this world with a Jewish soul. The Jewish soul is the child of Hashem. And the reason it's the child of Hashem is to develop this relationship so that when things in the road don't go so good, you know that it's your tati that smacked your hand. And if it's your tati that smacked your hand, you know on the spot that it was for good. Yeah, I'm talking about very high levels. That's what you need to strive for. Now we understand the Rashi. Rashi comes and says that if you're going to question the Paraduma, you're going to question why did the good guy become not good and the not good guy become good, that means you don't have a relationship. If you're asking that question, you don't have the relationship. Who in this world is out to break the relationship between a, a Jew and a Kodesh Baruch Hu? The Satan and the Goyim. And how do they break that relationship? By saying that bad things happen 
if bad things happen, then there can't be a relationship over here. They're the third kid that saw the picture but didn't understand the relationship between the two. The says it's a gzeir milafonai. It's a decree from me. What are, you, what are you thinking? Don't even think about it. That's the lotion it uses. Because if you think about it, that means we don't have a relationship. If you have to think about it, that means we don't have a relationship. So it's Xavier. He says, you're my child. What are you thinking about? What are you asking questions? If you're my child and I give you life and I give you food and I give you everything, why are you asking questions? So it's Xavier. Hashem says, don't ask questions. We have such a love between us, between God and us. There's supposed to be such a love that there are no questions. Zois chukat That's the chayk of the Torah. The paraduma. We all have the schus, everyone in this room. Whatever you need, it's my birthday, they say you should give a bracha. Whatever anyone in this room needs, whether it's shalom bayis, parnasa, children, shiduchim, health, whatever anyone in this room needs, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give it to you. You should have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a relationship with God, like a good relationship between a child and a parent. And we should see Mashiach, and Harabi, Amen, Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.